only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Let's seek God's grace and prayer. Lord, we... We thank you that you seek worshipers, as the Lord Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. We thank you, Lord, that you fill us by your Spirit, that that Spirit fills us with the fullness of God, that Spirit brings us into new obedience, that that Spirit enables us to engage in warfare, that that Spirit does enable us to fix our hearts upon the beauty and glory of God. He enables us to focus our attentions on you, Lord, to have great praise and delight in you, to be liberated for adoration. Oh, Lord, we pray that that spirit would work in our hearts even now to liberate us for further, deeper, stronger adoration that will permeate every part of our lives that will liberate us, strengthen us, give us courage, make us like Jesus who perfectly praised his Father. Oh Lord, make us true human beings, true
true human beings, Lord. Those who indeed worship the living God. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, if, if uh, you're talking to Paul or any of the biblical writers and you're talking to them about the little things that we sometimes do, our to-do list, or, or maybe you're doing more than just a simple to-do list, but you're taking Stephen Covey or some of these guys' advice and saying, what do I want out of life? What do I want to accomplish in life? Get the huge picture. That you, you, you ask the question, at my grave, what do I want people to say about me? You know, those huge questions that they urge you to ask and figure out what I want to have done, what do I want to be in my life. And then you start figuring out how am I going to get there, and then you start deciding on what I want to do this year, this month, you know, this, this week, and, and that comes down to what I'm going to schedule tomorrow. All based on this one thing, what do I want to be? What do I want to do in life? And if you ask the biblical writers, they would say, well, because this often is never a part of our thinking in that. They would say, where does giving God glory in all things come in what you're saying here? How does that figure, how does that shape and chisel every part of what you want to do in your life and and what you want to be said about you uh, when you die? They would say, above all else, I want to be known as somebody who loved and adored God with all of his heart. That's what they would say. It's interesting in 1 Peter when Peter says that you're talking about God's rescue of us. He says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a a people to be owned by God, to be drawn near to God, for God to have fellowship with, for him to be intimate with, for them to be like him. And he says, for what? For what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And there's the sense of, the excellencies of this one who would call me out of darkness into his light. Even though I was darkness and I was producing the darkness, lost in sin, he found me and brought me into his marvelous light and all the rich blessings that he pours in my life. So now I proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. That really summarizes everything that we do, everything that we are. Our duty in everything is in some way that our life, the way we live it, the way we make our decisions, the way we work, the way we clean our our houses or mow the yard, the way we go on vacation, everything is in some way proclaiming His excellencies. That's who you are. That's why He's constituted you as the people of God, that you might proclaim His excellencies. When Paul is talking about the gospel going out to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 15, he says that the gospel goes out in order that the Gentiles, having been shown mercy, might glorify God for his mercy. The whole point, why do we get the gospel to the Gentiles 
It's not just that they be redeemed. It's to the end that they will glorify God who has redeemed them, you see. The end of redemption is worship. The point of redeeming is that there would be more worshipers. Because that's what the world is all about. Paul says this again in Second Corinthians, well, many times, but let's consider another one. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, as grace extends to more and more people, it, will, it may in, then increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The whole point of grace increasing to more and more people is so that the thanksgivings and the glory of God may increase. And so, as John Frame has written, redemption is the means, worship is the goal. God went to tremendous trouble over many centuries, culminating in the sacrifice of His Son to redeem a people to worship Him. Think of it that way. The centuries unfolding the redemption of God, culminating in this very sacrifice of His Son. To what end? That He might find and seek and make worshipers. To the end of worship. And so we are brought to the cross. We're brought to the amazing accomplishment of Jesus Christ for sinners so that it would create in us by the grace of God, by the means as, as we've just spoken of, His shining into our hearts to see that glory, that it would create in us the beginning of a joy and an honor to His praise. Our exhilaration over Him is His glory, you see. That's what He's after. For His people to be exhilarated over His creation, over His providence, over His Word, over His redemption, over all that He is and all that He has. And in that sense, you see, in John 4, He seeks worshipers, seeks worshipers and makes them. And so the whole point of everything, the whole purpose of history, this again is framed, the whole goal of every Christian story, of the whole Christian story, Not just one segment of our life, but among others, but the whole of the Christian life is this. As even in our passage, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever it is. Or familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink, and as many have said, even in the most mundane things, the things in which you're most like the animals, all right? You're just eating and drinking, right? Even in your eating and drinking, do that to the glory of God. And, and the idea is you get to do it to the glory of God. You see, this is, a, this is the invigoration, the liberation of our lives that we don't have to have our noses stuck on the things themselves. We get to think about God as we enjoy his world. We get to embrace not only the thing itself, but to get our arms, as it were, around God himself as we embrace any good part of this life. That's the way to live. That's what we're made for, to rejoice in the God who gives us all things in this world. 
and to rejoice in His great redemption in Christ. Therein lies your only hope for happiness as a human being. To enjoy God and glorify Him forever. As our very first catechism question said. That's your only hope for happiness as a human being. It's your only hope for being a true human being, in a sense. Well, we're all true human beings made in the image of God. But I'm saying, to fulfill your humanity. It's a sad degradation for any of us. A sad demeaning of our personhood. A sad waste. You know that phrase, a mind. It's a terrible thing to waste. A human life is a terrible thing to waste. And it's wasted if it's not live for the glory of God. If it doesn't embrace Him in all things. There's our true humanity. Our true happiness. And, and really our true steadfastness and strength as human beings. So that whatever we lose in life, whatever tragedy occurs, our heart is fixed on God. We're released from not the cares of this world in the sense that because in worshiping Him, we care ever more deeply for others. We're ever more brokenhearted over the pain of this, of this world. But we're rooted in this fixed affection for God that only grows more and more no matter what happens to us. And you, and you can almost see the logic of it. You know... Losing everything has nothing to do with whether you might love God more as you lose everything. You realize that? Losing this world in any part of it has nothing to do with your relation to God and His love for you and Jesus and what He purposes to do for you in all things, to work all things together for your good. So it gives you a... A liberty, it gives you a, a steadfastness, a strength. It gives you a hope, a comfort. It, it gives you courage in this life to live for His glory. That's the only way we can be cheerful in giving. Is that, as, as Piper says, that love is the overflow of our joy in God that causes us to gladly give ourselves to others. It's the overflow of our joy in God that enables us gladly to give ourselves away to others. And there again, that capacity to gladly give yourself away to others doesn't matter if you're engaged in, if tragedy occurs or loss occurs, you still, even then, and by God's grace, even more then, can overflow with joy that causes you to give yourself away gladly to others. And so this is the way human beings were meant to live. And so I've introduced uh, over half the sermon right now. <laughs> so, uh, at least my time, perhaps. Um, but I want us to uh, realize the importance of worship. That's fundamentally the introduction. It's just the importance of worship, the glory of worship, the freedom of worship the humanity of worship. This, this passage and others like, these two passages and others like them uh, can be broken down in some simple ways. And I want to explore these just a little bit with you. Uh, that worship, and the, the title is again, the makeup of worship. 
Worship is, we're going to look in the first place, God-centered. Okay, Worship is God-centered. Secondly, that worship is, as we've already seen, but I want to touch on it just a little bit more, life-pervasive. Then it is Christ-centered and gospel-centered. And then, and it's hard to know exactly how to use this word to, to make it carefully, uh, but it's, in this passage, it's other-oriented. Now, how can you be God-centered but other-oriented? Or maybe the word needs to be other-inclusive, you know, that others aren't rejected in my worship, but somehow they are embraced in my worship. Even as we'll see, others are even addressed in my worship. So the fact that it's God-centered doesn't mean that I close my eyes to everybody around me. In fact, true godly worship causes me to open my eyes to those around me. Not only those within the church, but those who are lost outside the church as well. The worship has that profound effect as I focus upon God to make me all the more aware of the needs of others. I think I've told you before, but I'll I'll mention again this fellow from... I believe he was from, I can't remember, maybe it's either Bangladesh or, or Pakistan. And those are very different places, of course, but I just can't remember which he was from. But when he prayed, he was doing a seminar at General Assembly, and he said, now, uh, I don't try to do his accent, which is beautiful. He said, now, when we pray, we do not bow our heads like this in our country, our, our Christians who are converted, because it's associated with being beaten you know, and, and having no relationship with this person, only subjection, no real honor or love or, or relationship. And she says, so when we pray, we hold our hands up and we keep our eyes open and we look to each other and we pray. And he had us all do it, you know. I was freaked out, you know. <laughs> you know, because I pray by closing everything out around me, you know. And, and, and you almost feel like... We teach our children that, don't we? Close your eyes, bow your head. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just the close your eyes part is almost to say, you need to block out everything but God. You know, it's like, what about my wife? (laughs) Am I to block her out? She's not to be considered in this. Am I not embracing her? Don't we say, our Father? The very thing he tells us to say is not my Father, but our Father. So, at the very least, we're coming to God like this, right? We're looking at each other and holding on to each other. And, and we're bringing each other to worship. We're, we have joy in each other, helping each other to worship. That's, the, that's an anticipation of point number four right there. <laughs> but, but that's the idea I'm trying to get to uh, when, when we're there. But first of all, uh, God-centered, as you see it, it, clearly in these passages... He says that you're to, uh, though you're teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, as you look at the passage in front of you, uh, you're to give these up to God, and it's with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, giving thanks to God. Uh, Same thing in Ephesians, uh, that's the Colossians uh, 3 passage, and the same thing in Ephesians 5, the complete orientation to God. Everything he says, relates to God. Everything 
is related to my gratitude and uh, for God and my praise to God. And John Frame, in his uh, major systematic work, uh, talks about the lordship of God, and he gives, I think, a very helpful division of God's lordship. It helps kind of break it down into its various its, its parts for us, and it helps us in worship to think. I want to praise him for this and this and this. And his three categories are that he, sh- he shows forth his power in his lordship. That's simply the way he rules the world powerfully and plans what he's going to do in the world and he brings it about because he is all-powerful. He is the almighty God. He declares the end from the beginning. What he purposes, no one can turn his hand back. These kind of declarations found all the way through Scripture. So the power of His Lordship. We rejoice in that power because only by that power could we be brought out of darkness into light. Only by that power will more and more people be brought out of darkness into light. God has to exercise His unlimited power uh, for the gospel to go forth. He has to exercise His unlimited power to change our lives. But isn't that encouraging? And won't it help you to trust Him to change your life when you're adoring the greatness of His power? And in the context of adoring the greatness of His power, you say, Oh, Almighty God, change this aspect of my life that's so broken. See? Worship always builds faith for prayer. And that's why I think that uh, in the acrostic that you have seen many times, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication, that I think the A and the T have to swirl around the S the whole time. Now, I don't know how you draw that on a board, Uh, (laughs) but that your supplication needs to be constantly fueled and built up, energized, sweetened, encouraged, thrilled by the worship of God. And that keeps you from going through laundry lists, you know. And if you're like me, I just get worn out one after another after another, request, request, request. I have to praise God. I just have to. That's what sustains me, to weave praise into uh, requests. And it, it makes my requests go from just asking another thing to a thrilling expectation that this great God that I'm worshiping will actually do something that I'm asking him for. Okay, that's that's a great way to pray. So we we adore him for his his power. We adore him, Frame would say, for his authority, the authority he has. And this points to his word, which commands us his word, which declares what will be and declares his will to us. And so we worship him for his glorious word. We worship Him by listening to that Word, by treasuring that Word, by seeking to put that Word in our hearts, uh, by seeking to live that Word out in our lives. And we recognize this as an aspect of His Lordship. We honor His Lordship by honoring His Word. That's why I think that Psalm 1 begins the whole book of worship of the Psalms. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who... Uh, meditates in God's law day and night and delights in it, who delights in his law, meditates in it day and night, he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. That's the front porch of the whole 
edifice of worship is only those people will truly worship him who are giving themselves to his word who are, have sunk their roots in His Word, who delight in that Word and meditate in it. Because only then do we even know who we're worshiping. You don't just make up an idea of God. You've got to know who God is, and God reveals Himself in His Word. He reveals what He is in creation in His Word. So to not to be engaged and to be sunk into His Word is just to make up a God eventually, really. Just to bring your own notion of God and say, I'm going to bring it out on the table. It's going to be Darwin's production of God, and that's what I'm going to worship. So we have to honor his authority, honor the fact that God in his infiniteness must communicate to us who he is. We can't know him. We simply cannot know him on our own. He in all of his glory must come to us and reveal to us his word. And not only reveal to us or give us this word, but then by his spirit, he has to open up that word to our understanding. So the disciples said, uh, as they were walking on the road to Emmaus after Jesus opened up the word to them, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was teaching us? I've always thought that's a great thing to pray for, you know. Oh, Lord, make my heart burn within me like you did those disciples. It says in uh, Acts 16, 14, he opened up Lydia's heart so that she would respond to the things spoken by Paul. Oh, Lord, do that. Let us come to him, uh, come to him as Lord and his authority, not only that he's spoken this word, but in his regal authority and power, he must open up this word to us. And so we come expecting that he will do that. He loves to open up his word. He loves to make himself known in his grace and goodness to us. And so that's a prayer you can bank on. Will God answer the prayer, reveal your glory in your word? And especially because as you read through Psalm 119, which is a psalm about his word, 176 verses about his word, there's so many prayers in there that say, teach me your word, give me understanding. One of my favorites in verse 18 is, excuse me, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Isn't that a great prayer? Recognizing there are wonderful things scattered everywhere, but I'm blind to them by nature. I won't see them. I won't relish them. I won't treasure them. I won't bring them to myself and meditate on them and apply them to my life. Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I will see the wonderful things that are there in your law. So, our worship must be God-centered in His power, talking uh, to honor His power, to honor His authority, His Word, and then to honor His presence. Um, God is ever present before us, and He is especially present in the worship of His people. He manifests Himself in a special way. And His presence in Scripture is declared again and again, and it's a benevolent presence. I will be with you. I will be with you to bless you, to protect you, to change you, to use all of your circumstances for your good, to never let anything touch you except by my will so that I will accomplish all my rich, wonderful purpose for your life. I will be with you. So we glorify Him for His presence. We we glorify Him for the fact that He never takes His eyes off of us, as He says in Psalm 139. 
Always think of the, your child, you know, that's going off the diving board and they've gone off the board 33 times. You're counting, 34. And every time your child says, watch, daddy. No. Oh, you know, you pull your head over away from your book that you just love and you watch your child jump off the diving board for the 35th, 6th, 7th, 8th time. Well, isn't it amazing that God with infinite delight never wants to take his eyes off of you? Ever. Ever. He knows you're rising up and you're sitting down. He knows your thoughts before you even say a word. He knows you. Never takes his eyes off of his children. He is with us. So to combine all of that, you see, the power of God, his authority spoken in his commandments, the authority, and I left this out, of his promise. His promises can't be broken. His promises can't not come true. Can't happen because he has all power. And he has absolute authority to say, I promise this and it will be yours. It is yours. And the promise, the great promise that really summarizes all of his promises. I am with you. Epitomized in the very flesh of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. How much is he with us? He's taken our flesh upon He's gone to our condition to bring our humanity to glory. That's how much he is with us. So we celebrate this God. We worship him for his authority. We worship him for his power. We worship him for his presence. And this worship of God is one that pervades our lives. It's God-centered but it's also life pervasive. We, we dealt with that earlier, didn't we? And, and this is found in this passage in Colossians 3 where he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. For everything give thanks to God the Father in Ephesians 5. Uh, another similar passage you'll find, and I'm, you may have memorized this one uh, a long time ago. Uh, this is one of the first passages that I tried to set to memory. First Thessalonians 5 summarizes the whole Christian life in a way. Rejoice when? Always, yeah. Huh, that's a lot of time right there. You know, that's, that covers the bases. That doesn't mean you're, you know, running around giddy and, you know, somebody finds out they have a terrible disease and you say, oh, I'm so happy. You know, we're not talking about that kind of thing, of course. The way this joy manifests itself is many times in brokenness and pain. A joy in God that gladly spins itself for others. You see, a joy in God that gladly identifies with the pain of others. That, that doesn't mind being bound up and controlled by the care that you have for other people. There's a freedom in not caring for people. You know? There's a freedom. Just on your own, doing your thing every night when you get home from work. Not bother with anybody, not bother with anything. You're free. But if you're bound up with other people, you're controlled by their pain, by their circumstance, by what they go through. It's hard. But it's wonderful. (laughs) It's wonderful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So our, our worship, this, this isn't the only place of worship, is it? This, it, it really is a circle, isn't it? That, that we worship Him throughout the week. This prepares us, the more we worship Him and live for His glory, the more it prepares us to bring a real torch into the bonfire that we're blazing before Him now, right? And the more you feel the heat together with God's people of the bonfire, the brighter your torch is when you leave. And the brighter it shines in the night as you walk from this place. I never forget a friend of mine in college said he was on a freezing cold beach one day and he said, I was uh, standing with my back to the fire. And he said, my front was, of course, plastered with the freezing cold of this beach, uh, the icy atmosphere. And he said, what a picture that was of the warmth of God controlling me as I faced, you know, the icy cold of this world. And you and I actually, you know, there's nothing hardly better, is there, than being on a cold night and being around the bonfire. You know, it's just, you don't do it on a sweltering summer night, do you? You just don't. And and you see, that freezing cold, that difficulty of life, is why the praise of God is so wonderful. So wonderful to be really seeking to live for Him and His glory and to come back needing the bonfire of God's people and and trying to take as much of that bonfire as you can to be how you, and you live around that bonfire in all the difficulties of your life, trying to keep your focus, the worship and adoration of God. And this doesn't mean that you're going to do that instead of focusing on your computer programming or doing your surgery or whatever it is. It simply means that this becomes the reason, the backdrop, the, the atmosphere in which I do everything that I do. It's all for the glory of this great God. Well, our, our time is up. We'll continue with this, talking about how our worship must be Christ-centered, especially how it must be other-oriented uh, as well. Um, but I just, I just want to close with how uh, Paul closes the great section in Romans where he has talked uh, for chapter after chapter, we call them chapters, of what God has accomplished in salvation. And he finally says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? See how that's just a focus on his lordship and greatness of sovereignty of God? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Every single thing in this world, in some way, is governed and ruled by God so it can be said to be from Him and through Him and ultimately to His glory. Piper talks about 
even the tragedies, the terrible things in life. He says, God looks at them through a narrow lens. And, and sin and the curse he looks at, and he detests with an infinite hatred. But then he looks at those things with a wide-angle lens. And the wide-angle lens is, how am I going to bring glory out of this thing? How am I going to nourish and support my people? How am I going to use this to bring even more people to myself? How am I going to show the righteousness of my judgment and the glory of my mercy in this thing? So in that sense, everything from him and through him and to him. What a way to live. What a perspective to have in our lives. Let us pray. Oh Lord, give us lives that are utterly, completely given up to you. Oh Lord, bless us with continual, refreshing visions of your beauty and glory that we gain through fellowship with one another, through speaking the word to one another, through singing together, confessing truth of the scripture together, praying together, hearing your word together, ministering together, suffering together. Oh Lord, bless us that indeed we will be a holy nation, kingdom of priests, a people possessed by you, brought near to you, so that we can proclaim your excellencies to one another and to a terrible, dark world that so desperately needs the liberty and the refreshment and the restored humanity of embracing the God who made all things and who has redeemed a people in Christ. Bless us, Lord, that we indeed will be those people by your sovereign grace, O Lord. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?